0: It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast. With interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe
1: D'Armond.
0: Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe D'Armond and Mitchell Forty here. And Mitchell, I believe
2: we have confirmed that Missouri is going to go ahead and continue playing football. That's right. Even though... uh... (laughs) The game did not end uh, the way many fans probably would have liked uh, against Kentucky. In fact, it might even be fair to characterize it as devastating, but the yes. the show goes on. The program has not been disbanded.
0: Yes, so uh, there is another game, and we will talk about that game shortly. Missouri and Florida at uh, 3 o'clock in the – well, 4 o'clock Gainesville time, 3 o'clock Columbia time in the swamp. We will talk about that. In a minute, but first of all, Mizzou fans, you can make your mark on the world while the Tigers do it on the field. All you have to do is switch your underwear to Mark Skid, the new eco-friendly underwear company started by one of you. They have a call to action to make your mark on the world, and Mark Skid believes all brands should have the same qualities as the people we admire in life. And yes, your underwear can have a sense of humor, a strong character, and a purposeful life, believe it or not. You can go to MarkSkid.com and order your first pair. You will get 15% off with the checkout code powermazoo You will also get free U.S. shipping. $4 of every purchase goes to one of their four-star charities, which are dedicated to save, feed, and cure the world. One pair of underwear can provide safe drinking water for a person for seven years, feed a child in the developing world for 12 days, or vaccinate two children and presumably you all need more than one pair so you can probably do even more good than that so go to MarkSkid.com and place your order once again check out code PowerMizzou for 15% off your first order and free US shipping All right, so this weekend Missouri and Florida and we're going to talk to Jackie Franchuli from GatorsTerritory.com that is the Florida site for the Rivals.com network and uh, Jackie first off thanks for uh, taking some time today
3: me on today
0: yeah so okay florida obviously last week doesn't go the way they wanted to um you know win in the east out of the picture and all that but overall six and two i mean everybody has to be relatively happy with where they're at in dan mullen's first year right
3: yeah i think everyone is pretty happy i think um you know even with the loss of georgia i think a lot of people were pretty pleased with a lot of what they saw from the team now if you were to ask a lot of people even before the season they would have chalked up that game as a loss right off the bat so they were very competitive you know it was you know a six seven point game up until the last half of the fourth quarter so they saw a lot of progress that florida has done with dan mullen the offense seems to move a little bit better it's more creative it's not that predictable offense that florida has been accustomed to for the last few so there were a lot of good things that they saw in the loss against Georgia, and obviously there's things they want to see moving forward. But it's mostly been happy with what they've seen so far from Dan Mullen and his staff.
2: Jackie, you mentioned that that offensive improvement, and that was definitely you know something that that. The uh, the athletic department I think was looking to to fix in this new hire. You know, Florida under Jim McElwain had been just really pretty pretty dull offensively. What 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 do you think maybe is the uh, the biggest uh, change that that Dan Mullen has made on that side of the football? Oh,
3: actually, there's a few things. I think uh, Florida running back when Michael P. Ryan said it best. His grandmother was able to tell you what they were going to run on second and third <laughs> down. Um, so I think, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know. When you look through what Dan Ballman has done in some of these games, some of these game-changing plays, is he's been able to kind of throw these, these trick plays in there and um, kind of, you know, put the ball in the best playmaker so they can, they can make the plays. You know, I think that's something that we did not see Jim Mack when his staff do last year. You know, we've seen it with the, you know, Lucas Kroll throwback pass Felipe Franks. So We've seen it with a fake punt and Vandy when Tommy Townsend ran for the first down. They, they've been able to put those plays in and allow those playmakers to do what they need to do. And I think also placing them in positions so they, they can showcase their talent is a big one as well. You know Freddie Swain has been a revelation this year on offense. You know, a lot of people, when they were thinking of wide receivers, they were thinking of the transfers, Trevon Grahams and then Jefferson, um, and maybe tiring Cleveland since he was the number one wide receiver in his recruiting class. But Freddie Swain has done a great job of stepping forward. Um, He was playing on the outside for the last two years under the former staff. This staff moved him to the slot, and he's been a very good asset to the offense. He's been probably one of the most consistent wide receiver targets. So I think that is the main difference. You're putting guys in position to succeed, and then you're not being predictable when you're a play calling as well and not being as conservative. So that allows these guys to kind of – gain confidence saying hey you trust me enough to do this and we trust you enough to call the right place at the right time
0: Jackie, I'm curious if you think Florida will will change things up a little bit offensively going into this game. From this standpoint, I mean, I have watched Missouri play every game, and I am dumbfounded why teams even spend time trying to run against them. Like, I understand that that's what some teams want to do. Missouri's been pretty good, and it's not because I think Missouri has the best run defense in the country or anything. It's it's pretty good. It shut Benny Snell down mostly last week, but. If you drop back and throw three passes, you are going to get 10 yards against this defense. I know that Florida is not a team maybe equipped with Felipe Franks to to wing it all over the field, but do you see more of the game plan falling on him just considering how how bad Missouri's been in pass defense this year?
3: I can certainly see them you know, kind of playing up the pass a little more. They did that earlier on in the season when they weren't running the ball as well. Um, you, You can see that Mullen kind of adapts. Very well to each of his opponents, as you can look at the game We saw against Mississippi State. They went for those quick outside to the wide uh, outside wide passes, so they can give it to the playmakers, make playmakers, and make those quick move down the move down the field rather quickly, rather than going for that big bomb um, down the field. So I think we can see that. Um, I think Mullen is a, a power run guy. So I don't think they're going to abandon the run completely. That's the type that's his offense. That's what he likes to do. The, he's going to give the rock to Jordan Scarlett, and Michael Pirine, but Michael Pirine is a very versatile running back. He can be very talented as a pass catcher as well. So I can see them working in that way as well. And obviously I think the tight ends, I could see them having a little bit more of a role and maybe provide some mismatches in that regard as well. I don't expect them to kind of lob the ball down the field. Uh, that's not Dan Mullen's type of game. He likes to kind of control the clock and time manage. So, But I do expect him to maybe have a little bit more of a, of a passing passing game on Saturday. But again, Dan Mullen likes his run. He likes to establish that balanced offense. That's something that he's reiterated several times. So I don't think they'll just abandon the run completely.
2: Jackie, you know at this point, uh, Drew Locke's kind of struggles uh, in conference play have been fairly well documented, and we've talked uh, quite a bit on here about how kind of the the formula to, to shut him and the Missouri passing attack down is have you know a secondary that that with athletic enough uh, players that can shut uh, shut those wide receivers for Missouri down one on one. Do you think you know Florida's defense kind of kind of has that and and will be able to uh, to do that and give Drew Locke trouble on Saturday?
3: If you were asked me on Monday, I would have been scared about what was going to happen with Drew Locke versus sort of secondary because C.J. Henderson injured his back against Georgia and left the game pretty early, um, especially after Marco Wilson tore his ACL in the opening game of the season. You, you were kind of wondering what the numbers like was going to be in, in, in secondary. But um, now, you know, you you look at it, and C.J. Henderson is expected to be back, and I think he's probably one of the best defenders on Florida's team. Um, I think, you know... I would be shocked if uh, Drew Locke was trying to throw the ball towards C.J. Henderson during the game. But I think Ford is a little susceptible at, with C.J. McWilliams if he starts over Trey Dean. Um, I think LSU and, and LSU and Georgia both attacked that side uh, when McWilliams played, and they got some success with him. He, he's he's not their best corner. Um, he had a few mismatches. Um, he's been out of position a, a few times. So I think if C.J. McWilliams gets the nod to start at the opposite side of cj henderson that could provide some issues with florida now the other part of uh, it's a little concerning is their numbers at safety now sean davis is back um he's been back for a few games but brad stewart did not play against georgia for an undisclosed reason um there was a lot of rumors that he was going to be suspended before against georgia uh dan mullen and florida's been kind of hush hush about it Um, He did not feature in that game. They just said it was an internal uh, situation that they were handled inside. So there's still questions. It doesn't seem like he won't feature in the game, but that's something to watch um, on Saturday. And I think there is an issue with this numbers in that position. You know, there's even a wide receiver, Dre Massey, who is playing at practice, getting some reps at corner right now. So I think that is a concern, but I think – What Florida is aiming to do more, and especially in Todd Grant's defense, is putting pressure on Drew Locke to make those hasty throws. And that's when guys like Ja'Kai Polite are going to be huge for Florida on Saturday.
0: Jackie, I'm interested to know, uh, we've covered three games down in Gainesville now, and, and I've always walked away just kind of feeling like we didn't really get the kind of the swamp experience because Florida since Missouri has joined the SEC Florida's been been down from what it usually was so now with them with them having a good year what kind of atmosphere is there I mean is the is the stadium you know getting close to sold out and have the fans come back because last couple times I've been down there it just kind of seemed like a place where it's like this would be a really cool place to see a game if they filled it up but people haven't really been into this team.
3: Yeah, well, this uh, I've been here for three years, and um, the LSU game a few weeks back had was in, an incredible atmosphere. Um, it was the best atmosphere I've ever seen at the Swamp. Um, I was here, you know, as a as a student a couple years ago um, when I when I came to see the Miami uh, Florida game, and it kind of remembered me in that years, two thousand eight, two thousand nine years. Um, it was such a great atmosphere. Um, it was a packed house. Um, it, it was an incredible. It was probably the most hyped up I've seen Florida in a very long time. Um, and I think, although it's not going to be a top ten showdown or a top yeah. twenty five showdown, I think this game, because it's homecoming game for Florida, could create a good atmosphere. And don't forget, this this team just suffered a loss, so these fans are thirsty for more wins. And this is the first game at the Swamp for a month. Um, you know, they played at Lee. There was a bye week, and they played in Jacksonville. Since they've been here at the swamp, so fans are fans are eager. Um, just talking to a few students around, they're very excited to see Dan has done a good job of instilling some enthusiasm back into the program. Because although, like I said earlier, although they had the loss against Georgia, these fans are not asking for anyone's head anymore. They're they're not even asking for Felipe Franks's head right now. They're just. They're saying, hey, this team is progressing, so we are confident enough that we're going to be able to win out the rest of the season.
2: Jackie, obviously, as we've said, Florida, you know, lost to Georgia last week. That was a, a big game, I imagine, for them. You know, it's a, it's a rivalry game. Uh, they, they played at a neutral side, and it, it was a chance to kind of hop into uh, uh, the driver's seat for the to win the SEC East. But um, do you... You know, think for for the reasons you mentioned, and also the the loss that that Florida suffered. You know, the blowout against Missouri last year. That that you know, this team's not gonna have any sort of letdown coming into this game. That they're still uh, you know, pretty much ready to go.
3: Yeah, I, you know, if you were to ask me this last year, I would say this is the prime letdown game. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I'm looking at this game and I can see some mismatches on the field for Florida because I saw what they accomplished at Vandy which was another possible letdown game after all those emotional wins on the road and they were able to handle a very slow start against Vandy at Vandy right before a bye week I would say mentally I don't think this is a letdown game for them because I, I've seen I've seen them overcome that I think the mental part of the game under the staff has really changed for Florida um obviously anything can happen but it just mentally I don't think they're they're going to let a and let them affect them as valid. It's not a team that if something goes wrong, it kind of spirals under control. Like the game against Missouri last year, I think that's one of those things where mentally, they just weren't there. They, it was a crazy time for this team. Jamacho and his fired a week, or, a week earlier. They didn't know what the future was going to hold for them. So this is a, a, a very different team mental-wise. So that's why I don't see um, that much of them kind of going down this hole where there was one loss, so everything's going to go back to them. Um, I think that's the difference with this team than last year, where they don't let things kind of snowball out of control.
0: All right, last thing for you, Jackie. So, at the beginning of the season, I don't think there were many people picking Florida ten and two. But when you look at their schedule, Missouri at home, South Carolina at home, Idaho at home, at Florida State. Like this is almost—they're going to be favored in all four of those games. This is almost now looking like, uh, you know, there are going to be people, I guess, disappointed if this team doesn't get to ten and two, aren't there?
3: Yeah, I I think they're at that point right now. You know, I was one that thought they were going to maybe win eight or nine games. Um, Kind of some of those were a toss-up when I was looking at the schedule. But yeah, now you know they're thinking of you know the one of those New York Six Bulls. They're, they're thinking that that's where they are right now. You know, honestly, last week they were talking about college playoffs. They thought yeah. you know they beat LSU's top five. They thought you know what we have we have an ability to be in the top four of the country. Um, obviously, that's not the case anymore after losing to Georgia. But you know that that's what this team has done. This team has been you know they they they've turned the the mindset of the fan base from you know if you look in early in the season. They were winning, but people weren't happy how they were winning it. They were kind of saying, oh, they won because of this or they won because of that. But now they're saying they're they're winning because the team is playing well together. Uh, I think that's how you're, you're seeing how the fan base has kind of accepted it every single game, and they bought in more and more. It, it's been kind of funny where the, the players, you can notice, have been buying it more and more, but you can see the fans and how they've had an evolution and how they approach it. It's, it's one of those things where you think, that, um in the first couple of games they, they they've kind of had this mentality where they can't have nice things and they didn't want to believe it but they were getting better but now they're kind of bought in and yeah I, I agree with you I think if they don't win out it'll be a disappointment um I think I think honestly Florida State if they don't beat Florida State at Tallahassee mm-hmm. that would be this would that would make this whole season a disappointment because I think this year if you look at it where both teams stand right now Florida should be heavily favored against Florida State
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I lied. One more thing. I don't expect a lot of Missouri fans are making this trip, but for the ones who are, you know, Saturday morning or Saturday night after the game in Gainesville, anything in particular they should uh, do or any place they need to go?
3: Um, honestly, I know there will be a lot of places down in the downtown Gainesville. Um, there's a lot of bars and all that stuff for after the game. There's a lot of plenty of opportunities. Now, if you come on, on Friday – um expect a lot of traffic in gainesville because a lot of people will be driving in so be patient um but yeah there's a lot of good restaurants um down archer uh there's a couple of good um breweries and town around there so a lot of good places to stop and enjoy some time with your family
0: all right thanks a lot jackie we'll uh, see you this weekend thanks jackie all
3: right see you this weekend bye
0: all right jackie franchuli gatorsterritory.com also if you're going to gainesville on friday Expect to pay $400 for a hotel room.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the the move is to stay in the the surrounding areas. Yes. It's not an easy trip logistically.
0: Yeah, it is. And look, I'm not going to go too deep into this because we kind of ripped Chip Towers earlier for (laughs) complaining about what a crappy trip Columbia is. But, yes, Gainesville is just – it's one of the tougher trips because you've got a two-hour drive on both sides. Yeah. So uh, – I, and I don't think I, I think a, a decent number of Missouri fans probably went down there in 2012 or 2014. Yeah, I think all Missouri fans this year kind of targeted
2: Tuscaloosa, and I don't sure. expect a lot in Gainesville. Yeah, I wouldn't either, especially you know given uh, given that this team's not necessarily playing for an East title or anything like that. Yes, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, the East title. I I didn't realize this. I guess it actually just the winner of Kentucky Georgia is going to win the East. Up.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's a big game. So I Exciting. I thought the Kentucky. Uh, I thought
0: Florida going into this game I thought 3 weeks ago like this was a very similar game to Kentucky. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I know this is falling in into a trap that that I've kind of complained about <laughs> but like after watching Kentucky I'm just like that's not the number 9 team in the country. Right, right. Florida actually like they beat LSU, they beat Mississippi State. They're yeah. legit this good. Yeah. I I'm not sure how Kentucky beat Florida earlier.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously that was early in the season, and w- with a new coach, you know, you expect a team to get to get better as the year goes on. But you know, I, I agree. Like early on, you you look at it and you say, okay, you know, Missouri beat this team last year. They they're one of those teams that you know, if you can put up thirty points, that you don't know that Florida can score uh, score with them. But but after watching, you know, this Missouri offense against good defenses like like Kentucky's last week, I mean, there's just I I have. Not a lot of faith that they can score enough.
0: Right. We're past the point of arguing against that, right? I mean, look, they may go score 30 this weekend, but if they do – it's going to be the exception to the rule right. because they don't do that against
2: good defense. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you, you never know with college football, like weird things happen. Maybe maybe Florida comes out and plays bad after the loss last week. But it's just I, – I to me, you know, yeah, this is not – I think I'm probably viewing this about <laughs> similar to I did when, when Georgia came here uh, as mm-hmm. far as likelihood for a Missouri win.
0: Well, and, you know, weird things can happen. You mentioned last time Missouri played at Florida for homecoming, <laughs> yeah. somebody tweeted out the box score It was the craziest. Missouri had 119 yards and seven first downs and scored 42 points. Yeah, and blew them out. (laughs) If they get two special teams touchdowns and two defensive touchdowns, I think Missouri's going to win.
2: Well, with with how the special teams has gone this year, it'd be more more (laughs) likely to give up two special teams touchdowns. But, yes, that is certainly a good recipe for winning is score a lot of points with your special teams and defense.
0: All right. Now, this is your weekly public service announcement. This game is on SEC Network. It is at 3 o'clock. I don't know what channel SEC Network is on your particular television. (laughs) But I would hope by year six in the SEC, maybe year seven even, I hope you can find it. And if you do manage to find it, you will hear Tom Hart on the call. Tom joins us now. And uh, Tom, uh, the Halloween hangover in full effect, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, 100%. I'm going to be diabetic by the time this bag is over.
0: By the way, is Michael Porter Jr. playing in this
1: game? I I need to ask that question.
0: I I think he's going to play in Emmanuel Hall's place, actually, this weekend. (laughs) Uh, So, so, Tom, before we get into this game, I want you to know the following sentence was uttered at Mizzou Media Day today by one of the uh, student reporters who you have uh, made big fans of over the last year. They said, we need to find out where Tom Hart's going to be on Friday night. So, you have a you have a, a big fan club here in Columbia.
1: <laughs> Let them know I travel with security these days. We don't need it for Jordan <laughs> Rodgers or any other seedless celebrities that are hanging around with us. We need it for me. A is big is time Cole
0: security. your security though? Is is he? He, he,
1: he would be. I'm going to tell him just to keep the Shrek costume on that he wore for Halloween. <laughs> I mean that he wears every day. I
2: mean I don't mean it that way. <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, just just kind of as we. You know, as we were uh, discussing this game uh, before you came on, we were, we were kind of saying, you know, just the, the key is can Missouri score enough to, you know, points against a good defense, which they haven't really done, you know, so far in the in their SEC schedule. Uh, do, do you have uh, does anything in this matchup to you suggest that, that, you know, maybe Drew Locke could break out of his funk and uh, and, you know, score enough points to make this one interesting?
1: Yeah, I I do. Um, I have a couple thoughts on it because I think this game is going to be about two matchups. I think it's going to be Drew Locke against the secondary of Florida and Missouri's front four against Florida's running game. And I, it's very rare, I think, where we go into games and you can pinpoint it down that specifically to, to even two areas, let alone one that would be important. So it'll be thrilling to watch. I. I think it all depends on Emmanuel Hall, and by all, um, all signs point to him not only playing but being full go. And, of course, that's the most important part. Um, it's one thing to have him on the field. It's another thing to have him as a deep threat. Because for some reason, and I, I don't really know how to explain it, but this Missouri team in the past with Drew Locke and Emmanuel Hall, they hit on a higher percentage of deep balls than I can remember anyone in the country. Because it's not supposed to be a high percentage play. Um, and those percentages were wildly out of whack on Saturday afternoon when Missouri showed, and I know they've missed Emmanuel all season, but when they tried to draw, uh, dial up the deep ball and they misfired on multiple opportunities, I think that had as much to do with anything with going three and out on eight straight possessions. So to me, it's Hall's health, Locks' confidence in Hall, and the health of Florida's secondary because they've got some guys who've been banged up. Um, I'll meet with the Florida coaching staff, you know, when I get to Gainesville and find out a little bit more about it. But I'm curious if if they're less one, than 100%, you know, that's a team that does not have a ton of depth, especially in the secondary, um, if Missouri can take advantage of that.
0: All right, so for those who don't know, Tom is a Columbia, Missouri native. And, Tom, you've seen a whole lot of Missouri football, and so have I. I came out of last Saturday night saying, like, just in terms of, you know, uh, kicking the junk how painful it was to lose that game, honestly, it's maybe the worst one I've ever seen here. I mean, like – Fifth down, you can blame the refs. Kick and catch. They had to make a play like that. Just Missouri just lost that game. I mean, they just they had that game one and just gave it away. on On your scale of, you know, one to a hundred, where's that rank in the uh, in the bend over because you just got kicked in the groin scale?
1: <laughs> well, let me first say that. Our crew had the opportunity to call that game, and we were making these decisions a couple of weeks out. And I said, "You know, Tennessee, South Carolina, we're kind of kicking it around. Um, that might be a better game in the prime window and better eyeball." I am so glad I wasn't <laughs> in again. and I rarely say because I love coming home. I love every bit of Como. I am so glad I wasn't there because then you could say it was me because I was at the fifth down. I was at the fleet kicker. Yeah, and the B- yeah. So now I got to say it's you.
0: It's all you. <laughs> I was not at the fifth down though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well you put us together, then we,
1: we would have qualified. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some pictures in the South end zone of, of junior high kids tearing down the goalposts and I may or may not be in that photo after the fifth down game. So uh, i Surely the statute of limitations has passed by now. You know, I talked, to, I talked to Barry about that this week because what I did is I went back and had some help from some friends and dug out some clips from Barry after the Fleet Kicker game because he was a starter on that team, and he met with the media, and he talked about how that loss was going to linger, and they'll never forget it. And then what were the quotes after the Kentucky game? They were the same. A, almost exact same um, from both players and coach. And so I asked him about it. I said, listen, I, I have my 30,000 foot view as a relative outsider. You know, I've never put on the uniform of the program and how the losses were different. How would you compare them? And, you know, he said straight up, and, and this was with a little bit of prodding for me. I mean, I let him there, but that flea kicker game. I mean, Nebraska was number one in the country in Missouri, In the late 90s, they were just working their way back into making it to Bulls. That was a game they could have won, but they would have shocked the world if they would have won that. Mm -hmm. This was a game they were favored in. Um, The difference to me, or I guess the similarity is what you miss, not only the pain of losing that game, but what you miss by not gaining that win. Mm -hmm. You know, That would have been a momentum surge for the entire program obviously would have been a, a job security boon. Um, there's so much on the line in that one. But I think because, A, they should have won the game. They're better than the Kentucky. They outplayed Kentucky. And, um, and B, they expected to. I think that's why it, it hurt more.
0: Yeah, that was, the difference to me was that Nebraska game, a lot of those games, like there was never a point where during that Nebraska game you said, well, this is over. I mean, with six minutes left and then again with two and a half minutes left, Saturday was over. Uh, you know, I mean, everything, you have to do everything wrong and still get a terrible call to lose that game, and uh, they did. I, reportedly, they did. <laughs> you know. Yeah,
1: here's and here's how I look at it, because I was on the phone with uh, a buddy of mine who's a big Missouri fan earlier, and he said, man, you know, the officials are always out to screw us. We never get a call. <laughs> right. You know, our guys are out of bounds when they're not. Their guys get the flags. And I said that, I mean, I am so past, so far past, Um, you know, talking about referees. I mean, for what I do for a living, and when I talk about these guys and I talk to them before every game, do they make mistakes? Absolutely, they make mistakes. Um, Is there some sort of conspiracy theory to suspend LSU's linebackers so they don't play against Alabama or to send Kentucky closer to Atlanta than Missouri? No, they're humans. They, They make mistakes. Sometimes they have really crappy games, and there's guys out there that aren't very good, Angel Hernandez, MLB. But it's not like you do it on purpose. Anyway, the point I made to my buddy was, yeah, but guess what? Mediocre teams don't get calls. Elite teams get calls for a variety of reasons. If if Greg Maddox is pounding the strike zone and then he throws a two seamers that's four inches off the plate, he's going to get that call more often than the guy who's already walked five in that game. Um, that's just the way
0: officiating works.
1: I I know you weren't necessarily asking about the officiating, but i got to jump off the soapbox there. Well,
0: we haven't <laughs> talked I, about officiating at all. Nobody on our message board has suggested <laughs> there might be a conspiracy theory at all.
1: <laughs> the t- tinfoil was really flying off the shelves at yes. Shooks and Gerbs, wasn't it?
0: Gerbs <laughs> is closed, Tom. You have not been to Columbia for what? a while. What? Yeah, wow, the- that's, see, that's why I didn't move back. <laughs>
2: Uh, Tom, uh, you know, obviously, just talking about, about kind of the the uh, the kicking the growing collapse as, as Gabe called it. Uh, I'm I'm curious what what is maybe the uh, the biggest you know collapse or or maybe most most surprising ending of a of a football game that you have called. Um,
1: you know, a few years ago when Josh Dobbs was just getting going at Tennessee, they played a game at South Carolina, a night game where they were down 21 in the fourth. And they were down 14 with five minutes to go, and they came back and, and won the game. Um, you know, ESPN, FPI has this formula that they throw out there, the odds are to win the game, and yep. Tennessee was down to 0.01%. Um, I had the same thing with with a Houston team in the Armed Forces Bowl probably four or five years ago, where they were down three scores in the fourth quarter. And to me, what makes a meltdown or a comeback, depending on your perspective, so surprising is when a team has looked completely lost for, you know, three plus quarters Mm -hmm. or for half the game. And then all of a sudden things start rolling. I thought that drew Locke in the first half was throwing lasers and the crossing routes that they were running and getting guys open and throwing bullets. Um, Made it look like Missouri was in control of that game. And then when they started taking deep shots and they failed to move the chains in the second half, I don't think the comeback from a from an outsider's perspective, even though I am a Missouri fan, I don't think the comeback was as um, was as sudden as sometimes it is when teams simply fall apart. I mean, it, it was sudden with the punt return, and that obviously was the turning point in the game. And you look back at it, yeah, you you punt that thing out of bounds, and this was a conversation that I had with the coaching staff this week, it's the difference between the elite teams in college football. And if you wanted to just to stay in the sec, that's fair to the elite teams in the sec versus the middle of the pack teams, which is, I know Missouri hasn't won a game, but I still consider them a middle of the pack team, um, a middle of the pack program. It's depth. And where does that depth typically show up? It shows up in special teams. Yep. And you've got guys on the field with all due respect for Missouri special teams. I'm not talking about the specialists. They're, they're fine for the most part. But you guys have guys on the field um, that shouldn't be playing in the SEC. And what happened with the end of the Pinkle regime when the recruiting dropped off it's this, these are the classes, these are the teams that are most dramatically affected, right? I mean, the junior and senior class should be a lot better than it is. And while you have key playmakers that are okay, and you have some starters that are okay, you just don't have the depth. And look, look at Alabama, for example. Tua tonga is a generational player. I mean, I compared him before the season started. To Tebow or Tommy Frazier, and he's lived up to all of that hype. I mean, I think he is a Hall of Famer, and this is, you know, we're seeing that now two thirds the way through the season, and we'll see it even more next year. If Tuatunga Tungavaioloa isn't playing, Alabama can turn to a guy that got him to the national championship, one one that's what eighteen and two as a starter. Yeah, right. Alabama has incredible depth. Seems like Missouri simply don't. And I think you could say the same for Kentucky. I, I love Kentucky's program. I love what Mark Stoops has built. I think it's a great recipe for building a program and having faith in the coach. The first first four seasons, he went two wins, two wins, five wins, five wins. That being said, if Benny Snell's not on the field for any length of time, they're a different team. If Josh Allen misses half the season, they're a completely different team. Um if Bunchy Stallings isn't playing, they take a step backwards. Uh, depth is the key to all of this, and Missouri's at a point right now, but they just they just don't have it.
0: So, memo to Benny Snell: Do not scream at your offensive coordinator <laughs> on the sidelines again and get benched for a quarter and a half. Uh, and Tom, you mentioned Bama, and I don't know who I, I don't know if you've seen everybody in the SEC or, or who you've called exactly this year, but obviously they're going to Baton Rouge. I mean, they're playing in the toughest place to play in college football against a top-five team, and they're a 14-point favorite. And I think most people expect them to cover. So I, we're past the point of asking, like, is Bama the best team in the country or in the SEC? But you mentioned Tommy Frazier, and I always go back to that 95 Nebraska team is the best college football team I've ever seen. And I think this Alabama one is in that discussion. Uh, is that Are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Um, it's always relative, right? I guess you could you could do this with those Nebraska teams. Um, you know, the first question is how they compare to the rest of college football. And another question is, well, how do they compare to the other Nebraska teams that we've seen within the last two or three years, you know, going back to that era. So is Alabama as good defensively this year as they were last year? No, I don't think so. I mean, Mika Fitzpatrick was one of the most valuable players in all of college football last year. You're obviously going to miss him amongst all the other guys they've lost, but that offense has given them a chance, uh, given the defense a chance, to kind of hide in the shadows, to grow, to get better as the season rolls on. There's a lot of different things you could point to that, is, that are impressive about Alabama. This is the one that I've, I've just kind of latched my hooks into. So they've scored a touchdown on every opening drive of the season through eight games. That's only happened once before in the last 15 years of college football. That's as far back as our research went. And that was one of the Baylor teams under Art Bryles. I think it was 2015 or maybe 2013. They, they played
0: Presbyterian and, in all eight of those games.
1: So. <laughs> they could have. And nobody scores on the Blue Hose. Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, that it, it's also easy to see with Baylor's offense that, yeah, they would come out hot. I mean, that's that's what they did. But to me, it's so impressive. Consider, And, by the way, the average – length of the scoring drive for Alabama on their opening drive is four and a half plays. So as good as Tuatunga Bailoa is and as versatile as their offense is, and they can go two tight ends. They can split their tight ends out. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball, whatever they can do everything to me, just as impressive is the job that that coaching staff and Mike Locks leaves OC, the job that they do game planning through the week that when they get out there on Saturday, Against a team that's been preparing them for them, if not at least that week, Alabama's the kind of opponent you prepare for in the spring and in August and then again during your bye week. Like, you're always working on ways how can we slow down Alabama when we face them. And their game planning has been perfect, perfect through eight games. And I don't know if that continues. I don't know if that continues against LSU. But if our LSU and I won the toss – don't i would defer. give serious consideration putting my offense on the field
2: first yeah tom uh, a couple quick ones here from me uh it's my last thing for you we, we you know we talked about tiger stadium and i are headed to the swamp this weekend your uh your favorite sec stadium to uh to, to call a game and your your favorite uh, sec college town
1: well do we have to take como out of this just y- yeah, yeah let's take como out yeah. of it yeah okay that's i think that's fair um You know, I'm a sucker for the traditional stadiums, for the the old school ones. Neyland Stadium's always been a favorite of mine. I got to be honest, though, I haven't, I don't remember being there when it was really rocking, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, that's a byproduct of where the program has been over the last five years. Um, I like, man, I like all of them because we're lucky to be able to do what we do. Georgia's a great place to watch a game. Um, LSU's going to be absolutely insane Saturday night. I I really I'd have to put I'd have to put Nealon up there. Um, and there's a lot of great ones in college football. I mean Kyle Field, even the even the newest version of it is awesome. Um, and that place, you know, when it literally sways, that's different. And I experienced that by the way as a fan when me and Uh, a bunch of my cohort fraternity brothers, shout out to the betas, took Yellow Dog (laughs) school buses along with the fine women of Chi Omega from Columbia, Missouri, all the way to College Station. One Yellow Dog school bus. The trip took like 18 hours, and we got there just in time to see A&M beat Missouri like 77 to nothing. Oh,
0: that (laughs) was the Greg Hill game. Yeah, 73 zip. 73 zip. The 12th man
1: literally had a rushing touchdown in that game. The guy didn't have a name on the back of his jersey. The, the place went nuts. I'm walking up to the Kyle Field with a bunch of Cowboys, and we hear the cannon go off. And I turn and look, and that was like a 1 o'clock start or maybe a 2 o'clock. And I turn to the guy, and I go, oh, that's cool. So you guys shoot off the cannon, you know, like to remind people to come in the stadium. He said, no, we usually shoot it off when we score a touchdown. Yeah, they. I mean, they went up 7 yeah. nothing in like a blink. And
0: Before you got there. All I
1: have to say is I didn't pay for a single – Pitch your beer at the Dixie Chicken that night.
0: I I will say uh, two things about that game. First of all, to date, Tom and I, Mitchell was negative three years old when that game was played. Um, I I remember I was was in high school, and I was so excited because that was when, like, not everybody was on TV. I was fired up. Missouri was on TV that week, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to watch this game. And, like, I turned it off in the second quarter because it was just so awful. I, mean, that's I can't up there. believe
1: that game was on TV. And now mm-hmm. and now to show you how my fandom is twisted and where my interests lie, now I'm just thinking, like, if you were a broadcaster, how do you handle uh, 73 to nothing?
0: I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely brutal. So, all right, Tom, we'll finish you up with this. Just if Missouri is going to get this done in Gainesville, from your perspective, after after looking at both teams, what has to happen?
1: Well, they have to stop the run because if Florida can run the football and they did a really good job of it in the second half against Vandy, I thought that was one of their best rushing games of the season um, based on how Vandy played them in the first half. Um, If you can can stop the run, then you're going to put it into the hands of Felipe Franks. And Felipe has not had a good season. He doesn't make great decisions with the ball. He's prone to turnovers both through the air and putting the ball on the ground. Um, and then you, have, you give yourself a great chance on that side. And then on the other side, um, Missouri's, I mean, this goes without saying, they've got to be more efficient, especially on, on third down. You've got to be able to convert. I think that the return of Emmanuel Hall will be huge for this. You know, Drew Locke's struggles against ranked teams is something that has been well-documented. I don't think it has any influence on his ability at the next level. You go back and look at the numbers that Jared Goff and Pat Mahomes put up when they were playing ranked teams, neither one of those beat a ranked team. They were combined Mm -hmm. 0-17. And obviously that has not had any impact on their success at the next level. But to me, when you're on an average team, which Missouri is, and you play a ranked team as a quarterback, it's not just you, but it's also the confidence that you have in the offensive line, in your receivers, and everything else that's going on around you. Um, Florida can get after the quarterback. So, you know, they've got some guys that are really good off the edge, especially Polite. Um, so, point being that you can look at Drew's numbers and they're not good, but I think it's more of a, an example of the whole team's issues when you face a ranked opponent. And if Paul is healthy and Florida's secondary isn't, then he'll have a chance to hit a couple of those deep balls and take advantage of it and, and find a win against to the to ranked team.
0: All right. Well, Tom, appreciate your time, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you on uh, Saturday in Gainesville. All
1: right. Perfect. Don't tell any of those. <laughs> don't tell any kids where I'm going to be, okay? Because my credit card took a massive hit last time I saw those guys.
0: <laughs> and now everybody knows why you're so popular with the college kids. <laughs> <laughs> we call it
1: paying it forward. If we have to do it through Bud Lights, and we have to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks, thanks Tom.
2: Tom.
0: All right, gang have a good one tom hart sec network he's calling the game with jordan rogers and cole kubelick and they are really uh they they have a lot of fun they're a good team to watch mm-hmm. broadcast a game i look tv guys often know more than we do yeah and tom has obviously talked to the missouri staff this week so he may know something we don't know i expect emmanuel hall to be on the field saturday i don't expect him to be what he was against purdue
2: yeah i agree it's, it's- we've said it's kind of mystifying as to how big of a difference his being out of the lineup has made but also you remember that Georgia game when he was clearly limited and like didn't get a catch. I yeah. I expect this to maybe be sort of like that you know maybe they'll give him a screen pass or a slant to, to try to you know just loosen him up but yeah I, I am guessing that you know after what And Derek Dooley said this this week after, what, five or missing four games. You know, I don't expect him to come out and all of a sudden be the week two Emmanuel Hall that had, like, 11 catches.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, running full speed down the field, like, a groin injury. If it's not 100%, who knows? Yeah. yeah. You know, so that'll be interesting. Again, kickoff 3 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, appreciate Tom taking some time talking with us. Obviously, a guy who probably knows as much as anybody mm-hmm. uh, about Missouri that broadcasts these games outside of, obviously, guys like Mike Kelly and Howard Richards. Uh, also, Jackie Franchuli from GatorsTerritory.com. We leave for Gainesville on, uh, I don't know, sometime tomorrow. Is that right?
2: <laughs> yep, that that would be correct. Okay, so,
0: <laughs> yeah, sometime tomorrow we will be down in the fine state of Florida. We will cover the game, whatever May happen, and go on from there. As we get out of here, I want to remind you, Mizzou fans, to make your mark on the world with Mark Skid, the new eco-friendly underwear company started by one of you. You go to MarkSkid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com, and with every order, $4 is donated on your behalf to one of their four-star charities dedicated to save, feed, and cure the world. One pair of underwear provides safe drinking water to a person for seven years, feeds a child in the developing world for 12 days, or can vaccinate two children. So make your mark on the world at MarkSkid.com. Use the checkout code POWERMAZOO for 15% off your first order and free U.S. shipping. And uh, we are now off to Basketball Media Day, and we're going to talk to Mark
2: Smith. That's right. By this time next week, uh, the basketball season will have started. That's kind of crazy.
0: Holy cow. That's right. Basketball <laughs> season starts Tuesday night. Uh so, welcome to our worst month of the year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basketball and football going full swing, but uh, powermazoo.com will cover it all for you. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next Thursday.